Hey there, welcome to Football with Grant Wall. Thanks so much for joining me. Before we get going, you can subscribe to my writing site at grantwall.com. I am in Qatar doing daily coverage of World Cup 2022. That is grantwall.com. We got a USA game here. Let's talk about it. Bring in Chris Whittingham. How are you, Chris? Doing all right. Been a uh, been a busy one, and uh, the U.S. get a point from their opening game. And I, I, it's interesting. Myself and Mike Ryan Ruiz on the Dan Levitard show did a reaction show like ninety seconds after the full time <laughs> whistle went, and I thought my reaction was measured. I was disappointed that the U.S. dropped uh, the the result after leading, and then you know ultimately in the end after a good Wales second half, I thought, well, you know, fair enough. I think they they earned a point, and then. I come back a couple hours later here to record this podcast, and I didn't realize that the world has gone mad over this U.S. result, that there's a lot of uh, down feelings that U.S. are going out of the group. It feels like it's a much more negative reaction than I would have imagined. That's interesting to me, because I've just been reporting. I just got back to where I'm staying after... Uh, getting back from the stadium, doing post-game interviews in the mix zone with different U.S. players, Christian Pulisic, Tyler Adams, uh, Matt Turner. Um, didn't get Walker Zimmerman. I don't know if he came in later or earlier or what. But, um, you know, look, the U.S. fan base is the U.S. fan base. It's passionate. It uh, can be a little bit the sky is falling sometimes. This is a point at the World Cup. Uh, it's disappointing, obviously, that it feels like two dropped points more than one gained point. And uh, I get it, you know, World Cup wins are very hard to come by in the men's World Cup for the United States. You know, you go back in time, there was one in 2014, there was one in 2010, none in 2006, two in 2002, none in 98, one in 94, none in 90. So very few in the modern era. And so this felt like a game the U.S., could have won, was winning, and so I get the disappointment, but in the grand scheme of things, the U.S. is not in dire straits here. It just means you try to get a result. Obviously, you try to get three points against England. I don't think that's impossible. Um, and and then you, you hope that Iran just is sort of either out of it or not putting much into the game three, and you get three points out of that. And if you can get five points... Um, I think the U.S. is going to be in pretty good shape or has a good shot to, to advance. You never know what might happen because um, if you assume, never good to assume, but if you assume that Wales gets three points against Iran, they'll be on four and then would have a, a finale against England and you just don't know if there would be stakes there uh, for England. And so... You control what you can control. And yes, it's extremely disappointing, but the sky is not falling, Chris. Agreed. And I'd, I'd be curious sort of where you fall on that continuum. And ultimately, in the stadium, I'm, I'm curious how it felt to see the U.S., I think, so thoroughly dominate the first half. Right. And the way that they built up with possession, the way that they sort of executed everything that Greg Berhalter ever wanted this U.S. team to be for 45 minutes. And then Something completely changed in the second half, and I'm still not entirely sure what other than maybe tactics or game plan. I know that Wales made a halftime change, but I don't think right. bringing on Kiefer Moore in for Daniel James made such a difference that Wales all of a sudden became the dominant team in the second half and looked the more likely to score and eventually did score. So what what do you think, having been in the stadium, ultimately led to that change in the way that that game played out in the second half? 
you know, I don't think it was a massive change in the second half. I, I don't think it's as much of a change in the second half as it sounds like you're characterizing it. Um, I feel like, yes, Wales had more, had the ball a bit more in the attacking third against the U.S. in the second half than they did in the first. Um, but like when you look at the scoring chances that were created, Matt Turner made a really good save, um, reaction save. I think it was the 64th minute. Um, and then the penalty is the penalty. And I think Walker Zimmerman would raise his hand and say, look, I probably shouldn't have gone to ground in the box in that situation. Um, that was an overly risky play. Bale had his back to the goal. Um, and it's a good player making a mistake, pretty big one, um, pretty significant one. So I, it, you know, I, I don't feel like it's an undeserved point for Wales. And yet that said, I, if the U.S. had gotten three points out of that game, I, I would have said, okay, deserve three points. Right. And and the U.S. would have hung on. Um, I, I think, you know, it, it's always interesting when the game does sort of turn on one big mistake. And I think because of the nature of U.S. soccer support, where a lot of it is transient and arrives for the World Cup, there's this huge criticism for Walker Zimmerman that comes in immediately after the game. I don't think at all recognizing the established credentials that he has had for this team, that he has been one of their more consistent performers throughout the World Cup qualification period, throughout uh, really the last, since he came into the team originally in the Gold Cup, uh, that I, I think he's been a tremendous servant for this U.S. team. And it's sort of one of the first names on the team sheet. And yet, yeah. because he makes this mistake in this moment, he immediately come, you know, becomes a subject for criticism. I think in general, I mean, look, his distribution isn't sensational, but I thought in general he did everything that was asked of him except in that one moment. And I, I just don't know how to, I mean, I, I don't know the, the instincts of defending. I don't know what exactly he was thinking. I imagine he's like, I can't let this guy get turned because if he has even a half window of space onto his left foot, he's going to score. So he went to ground thinking that he can get around him and win the ball. And instead he went right through him. But I don't I know the instincts of that moment. I think in, in other countries, you know, there'd be phone-ins dedicated to, you know, <laughs> what a massive mistake that was from Walker Zimmerman. I, I don't know how to do that. I don't know how to basically go at a player for just making a mistake. He made a mistake. And right. I I always tend to de-emphasize those individual moments and more emphasize, I think, the moments in the second half when the U.S. could have created more. I think the chances that they left on the table because they weren't uh, clinical enough in providing service or crosses or at times delay. I, I think they were a little bit too deliberate in the passes that they made and could have made quicker passes, particularly in transition. And I, I tend to focus on that more than I tend to focus on that one individual error from Walker Zimmerman. Yeah, I think you're right. I think there there were opportunities, not like golden chances for the U.S. in the second half to make it 2-0, but there were many opportunities in the attacking third where they just didn't execute with the precision needed to create the golden chance, but they got the ball in the right area. And I think the frustration should lie just as much or more with that that they didn't finish off the game. And yeah, I mean, who knows where we're headed here, but I think overall the performance is, is not bad. You know, I mean, like that's, you can tell it's not bad because there's so much disappointment with the result based on the performance. Um, and that's the way the game works sometimes. I will give a lot of credit to Gareth Bale this is a guy who hasn't come close to playing 90 minutes since when? 
Like when was the last time Gareth Bale played 90 minutes? I think it would probably have to be, I mean, he didn't do it at LAFC. So, I mean, it was sometime in Real Madrid, probably eons ago, but it, right. it's never really mattered. Whenever, whenever he shows up with Wales, it doesn't, you can, you can play as, as these world cup games are quickly becoming a hundred, 105 minutes <laughs> uh, and, and, and seemingly do so with no problem. I, I guess I would just say that like, there were several U S players tonight who looked fatigued and yeah. And Gareth Bale pushed through. And that's also something that if, you know, Zimmerman's got so much going on in his head, but like in that moment, but like, is Gareth Bale going to be that explosive in the 82nd minute in the box with his back to the goal? Yeah, I don't know. Um, having played, you know, that many minutes in that game. But um, look, it's it's done now. And I think it's really important to to realize as they do I'm sure that it's a very quick turnaround time to a very important game against England just this coming Friday you know that's the way these games come fast and furious at this World Cup and um, you cannot let the disappointment of this game fester at all this is the old be a goldfish thing right yeah and for me with with the speed at which the England game comes it's why I'm not necessarily doom and gloom because Yes, the group stage is incredibly short. And if, you know, the U.S., I mean, for me, like the doomsday scenario was the U.S. gives up two goals in the first 20 minutes and their World Cup ends. But (laughs) I I felt so confident after the U.S. started so well. They were so confident in possession. They eventually got their reward. The goal was sensational, which I think is going to get lost a little bit. Uh, just because of how uh, nice Christian Pulisic's touches were through that defense and plays a perfectly weighted pass into Weah. His finish is sensational. It gets lost because the U.S. didn't win. But I, I do why, think though? that... I, I, why does it get lost? Um, I don't because know. I, I think I, you're I, a little I, too I, doom and gloom here. I think, you, I think you're too doom and gloom here. I, I, I think it was that, a terrific goal, and I don't think it should be lost. And we had a nice conversation with Tim Weah about the whole thing after the game and, and you know, talked about other stuff too, including with Pulisic. But... I mean, I get the disappointment, but come on. No, no, you're you're right, and and I I, I was sort of introducing it as narrative based rather than sort of my own personal feelings. Like I, I I loved it. The celebration was great. It was great to watch the U.S. play well at the World Cup for 45 minutes. Yeah. They were so good in that first half, and I, I I just enjoyed what they put together. The reason why I sort of frame it like that is that I think a lot of people sort of assumed that this Wales game was everything. Either you want it or you're you're putting yourself in peril when I don't think that's necessarily the case. You have time. There's still a lot of soccer left to be played. And England, while looking tremendous today against Iran, is not necessarily you know going to sweep you away in exactly that way. You imagine they're likely to win, but it won't probably look exactly like that. And then you have a game against Iran to win and you know, potentially rack up some goal difference and maybe you get through ahead of Wales. But this World Cup is not over on the basis of this uh, of, of this draw. It was a perfectly acceptable result. Probably going in, if, if I said to you, would you take a draw? You'd be like, I'd prefer a win, but, you know, a draw at the very right. least gives me a chance. And that's ultimately all you want out of the group stage. Do you think England will get nine points in this group? Yes. Yes, I do. See, I, not, think- I, I am not 100% certain on that. So the, the, the reason why, I, to me, the only way they wouldn't is if they have so little left to play for on the final day because they're already qualified or, you know, which I, I don't, if, if yeah, I guess if they beat the U.S. and Wales uh, drew or something, they, they would probably already be qualified. 
Um, but I mean that that would be a disastrous result for Wales. I, for me, I, I just think that what England showed today is that their Premier League players are in form. They've been playing a ton, and they they don't look like it has tired them. They look like it has gotten them ready for this moment. I'm kind of curious to watch more of the quote big teams with big players at big clubs play in this tournament because I wonder if that might be an advantage, even though they might be tired if they're healthy. They might be in such good form. They're in mid-season form that they're ready to put together some really good performances. But yeah, I think England are are pretty far and away the class of this group, and I think they'll they'll win three games from three. Um, I think assuming a nine-point group from England is a little like the U.S. players assuming or talking about nine points from the first three games of World Cup qualifying, two of which were in Central America. I, I, I think it's actually more likely that they don't England get get nine. And I've seen That's this, fair. I've seen us teams in the past, like 2006 world cup, miserable opening game performance, three nil loss to the Czechs, came back and the U S got a one, one tie against Italy, eventual champion. Um, and if this U S team really does have that American thing going on, um, I think they're going to give England a real run for it. And so it's, I think there's a lot, to come, I think this this result sets up um, more angst <laughs> for US. Yeah, fans. certainly. It would have been much getting, easier if they just won, get, but I mean, it's not it's not meant to be easy. Because if you if the US wins this game tonight, then you're looking at talking about trying to win the group, right? Yeah, um, and you know not that that's outside the realm of possibility now, but it, it, it's just it's one game in the catastrophic situation would have been losing this game against Wales and, and you move forward and see, see what can happen. I I think Tim Ream, I'm really glad he started tonight and I thought he was terrific. And, um, I, I think it's an amazing journey actually for him not to even be with the team for a year until this camp. And now he's starting in the world cup, but it, it didn't look like he had any issues, uh, back there at all. Yeah, the only thing you can say was the the yellow card, and even the moment that Gareth Bale looked like he was going to be he was going to be uh, in behind and potentially chip Matt Turner from fifty yards out, uh, just because maybe you know you could have gotten around him, you could have poked it off him. But uh, yeah, I think those are the only two moments you can even put under a magnifying glass. The yellow card was necessary, as was yeah. Kellen Acosta's world yellow card for the ages. Uh, from from Kellen Acosta, that was absolutely yeah. tremendous. But uh, yeah, I, I think Reem put in a really solid performance. I think you can see his combination play with Jedi Robinson. You can see really his passing ability. I think that's probably his most un, uh, sort of underrated trait. And the only I guess criticism I have is you know I think Tim or Greg Berhalter never looked at Tim Reem as a center back in a four. He was he was either a left back in a four or a left center back in a three. But never I, I can't play him as one of my two center backs in a four mm-hmm. and. When when did it ever really look like that was going to be that big of an issue? Now, maybe it becomes a bigger issue when you play Bukayo Saka uh, against England, especially considering the performance he put in or even the overlapping runs of Kieran Trippier causing the U.S. problems. But I, I don't I don't think that his lack of pace was ever really exposed that much uh, other than the moment when he kind of stepped 10 yards into the opposition half to try and press. Didn't get there. Has to take a yellow card because that's what was necessary in that moment. But yeah, I think... Uh, if you're if we're looking at individual performances, you would certainly look certainly not look to him as being any kind of problem. You know, also too, I'm not taking that much. I don't want to take too much out of England's six two performance against um, who was it Iran? Um, yeah, it's late. Um, 
you know, like, look, England looked very good. Iran was miserable. And in, much in the same way that Qatar was miserable against Ecuador. Like, the, these Asian confederation teams, like, it's not like I was expecting a bunch of them to advance to the knockout rounds, but I did not expect them to be embarrassing. And Qatar was pretty embarrassing. And... <laughs> Uh, and Iran was pretty embarrassing too. And, and look, I, I actually, I, f- I feel for the players, like, especially the Qatari players, actually, like, um, we talked about this. I, it's, it's tough. I think there's a lot of pressure on them and, and to have that just be that poor. I missed the Netherlands Senegal game because I was going to watch it. And then I got detained for half an hour <laughs> trying to enter the stadium. Well, let's talk about this. What, what, so you obviously you made a decision to wear that shirt, yeah. um, thinking that thinking that it wasn't going to be a problem, and then it became a problem. Tell us about it. Yeah, I mean, if you read my website, part of the Qatar Chronicles Part Two was about uh, what U.S. Soccer has been doing to get prepared for coming to Qatar, and they had hired and I interviewed a compliance officer who's lived here for last six years or so, Lisa Saad, and. And we specifically talked about the rainbow flag and like, what about fans or anybody, visitors here wearing the rainbow flag in a country where same-sex relationships are illegal? But FIFA and uh, Lisa Saad, by the way, told me like, everyone has told me that you know, if you just have a rainbow flag, there is no problem at all. The problem will come if you've had a few drinks and you're making out with your gay partner in public. And then there definitely will be a problem. And you know what? I think it's really misguided to to speak about what the Qataris are going to do or what they tell you they're going to do because the Qataris themselves are not saying this, you know? And, And they move the goalposts. We've seen this so many times, you know, on things large and small. And so that's that's what the whole not selling beer in stadiums or alcoholic beer in stadiums, you know, deciding that, announcing that two days before the tournament started after 12 years of preparations, um, that's moving the goalposts. And if they're going to move the goalposts on something like that, then they very easily can move the goalposts on just about anything. Um, And that includes rainbow flags. You know, I certainly wasn't the only person to have rainbow flag stuff confiscated, uh, there were Wales fans tonight who wore rainbow, big rainbow hats that were confiscated. Um, and the Qataris control this tournament. FIFA does not. And I think that's such a, an important point to make. Um, and, you know, look, this is a fiasco of just monumental proportions going back to the day in 2010 that so many corrupt FIFA officials decided to award this tournament to Qatar and, and were bought. And if you're going to welcome the world, as Qatar apparently wanted to do, then you're, you're going to have to sort of work with the world and, and be welcoming and find out what welcoming means. Because it's not like I am uh, doing something provocative in the sense of, um, I don't know, there's any number of things that could be like extreme. I just am wearing a shirt that I was told by FIFA and, and other people here would be totally fine. And then I was detained for 30 minutes. I should say exactly what happened. I, I'm wearing a black t-shirt 
with a soccer ball surrounded by a circular rainbow. Um, I have family members who are gay. I have lots of friends who are gay. Um, that's not a requirement, by the way, to care about gay people. Um, and I, I think it's very important to, um, to be an ally, I guess, is the best way to put it. And I can't help but think about the gay people who are in Qatar and what they have to deal with and, and fear and, and jail and you know what it's like when it's not during the World Cup. And if I'm getting treated as a visitor, as an American, as someone who has you know a somewhat significant media following, well, then how are those people being treated? Um, and that's pretty awful to think about. So um, anyway, I get to the stadium, go through the media checkout or check in. You know they're gonna go you know, run your bags through. They're gonna check your credential. Um, and from the moment I get there. Um, security says, like, pushes me to the side, puts me to the side, and they're letting other media people go through. They're like, oh, this is interesting. And then, but I still wasn't 100% certain it was about the shirt I was wearing. And, um, and then a guard said, your shirt, you have to remove it. And uh, I was like, no. I don't, I, mean, I don't know how many times I said no to these guys. Um, 10, 15, 20. Um, and then um, I got off a tweet, which was sort of hastily done. I'm really glad I did. Um, because within a moment, they had forcibly like ripped the phone, my phone out of my hands. Didn't give it back to me for nearly half an hour. And constantly I'm like, I, I want my phone back. Like, what are you doing? Um, at one point, um, I they had a chair and I was sitting in the chair and this security guard is looming over me, angrily demanding that I take my shirt off. I was like, no, um, I will not do that. And there was it was weird. It was it was kind of intense. I also knew what my rights were. I knew I, I said multiple times to these guys, I was like, you really don't want this to be continuing. You don't want to escalate this. Uh, this is going to be bad for for you in Qatar, and they just didn't seem didn't seem to compute. Mm-hmm. Eventually, Andy Das from the New York Times, my friend, happens to be coming through. He sees me. I, I kind of fill him in a little bit, and then they detain him. Really, for less, for less time, uh, just it, for associating with you. You know, I think he took a picture of me. And they hmm. thought he was trying to take a picture of them, and they don't like it when you take a picture of them. Um, and this isn't like the U.S., where you can take pictures of cops. Um, mm-hmm. And so, uh, you know, Andy just said, "Look, I took a picture of my friend," and um, <laughs> so they detained him. Um, you know, it was, then they make me stand up and turn around and face a. CCTV cam, presumably of someone on the other end of it, who I, I don't know, is supposedly making a ruling on, on my shirt. It's ridiculous. Um, and then finally, after about almost a half hour of all this, um, the commander of security comes and says, you can go through. Um, and, you know, uh, he apologized, 
So I shook his hand. Um, Fifa apologized. Um, and clearly, you know, Fifa has not done enough work with the security forces here to be clear about what's allowed, what's not. Um, and it's a bit of a shambles. And I think it's going to continue. We're going to continue seeing reports of this. Um, so I, I am not a victim. The people here, the people who are victims are gay people in Qatar. And, um, and that's a bad thing. Yeah. And that's a, that's a, honestly pretty terrifying. And I, I sort of admire, um, not, again, like you said, the people that actually live this are, are the ones that are admirable, but I admire that uh, you sort of went into the, the lion's den knowing exactly what you'd get into and sort of that, uh, you had, you had sort of, uh, a righteous backing of yourself that you knew that what you were doing was the right thing and, and, and you proceeded with it. But um, obviously it, it has captured an enormous attention, um, uh, you know, from, from people who are following this tournament and following what's going on in Qatar. And I, I to me, the, the point that you made is sort of the, the astounding one, which is that normally FIFA comes into a country and they run, they run the thing. And this has been exactly the opposite. Qatar has all the FU money in the world to keep doing whatever it is that they want to do and bully people and force bully FIFA and bully everyone into bending to their will. And I'm kind of glad that sort of your megaphone um, is really what allowed you to sort of, I, I, I imagine they, like you said, you know, you don't want to escalate this. You don't want to make this bigger than I've already made this, which has been seen by millions of people around the world. Um, do, do you want to continue to escalate this? And that really is probably the only thing uh, that, you know, went into their consideration of, all right, well, Let's just let's just get on with it, and we'll take the L here. Yeah, I mean, it's it's something I felt when I came here in February and talked to migrant workers was that there's a decent chance I might get detained. I got detained today, um, and you know, and, and if that happens, then does it help to have eight hundred thousand followers on Twitter? Yeah, better believe it. Um, but also, it helps to be a, a journalist with a U.S. passport. And I knew coming here that I had that in February behind me. And so even if I had gotten detained, I was like, I made the calculation of you're doing the right thing by doing this. It's not a bad thing. As long as you're, as long as I'm doing things the way that it should be done, and I'm not like, I don't know, skirting crazy rules or anything like that, but like, I have a pretty good idea of what's right and what's wrong. Um, and it, it's, it's interesting to me sort of how, defiant and the the Qatari regime is about all this and how they're trying to portray themselves as victims, as is Johnny Infantino, the FIFA president. They're not victims. They're, they're perpetrators here. The human rights violations are perpetrated by them, not the other way around. And, and so clearly the Qataris have decided that the regime, at least, that they can buy people. They can buy the World Cup. They can buy Fox Sports. They can buy any number of journalists and influencers and David Beckham around the world. And, and they can't sort of buy certain things. And it's good to know that they can't. And, uh, and that includes any number of things. It includes they can't buy wins on the field here, apparently. Uh, they can't buy respect. Um, and... So I, I just think it's really important to be on the right side of history with all this stuff. 
And I think the, the one thing that you sort of mentioned that they haven't bought either is sort of a new world order where no matter what, what they, what they say goes, they're going to change cultural norms as well as, you know, exert their power and influence over the world because they can and because they will. Um, but uh, I think by virtue of the, I guess, Western world's reaction to this World Cup, I'm not sure that their way is winning at the moment. Whatever Qatar wanted by get, by hosting the World Cup and spending $220 billion on this, whatever they wanted from that, a lot of it they're not getting. They're not going to get. This is, Musa Akwanga put this really well. I think I, I tweeted this like 17 days ago. This is already a failure, this World Cup, and the organizers know it. And the only question is how big of a failure it's going to be. But this is like at the end of this, this is not going to be, um, you know, wow, Qatar was an amazing host. Um, <laughs> we know this already. Um, and it's, it's surprising to me, actually, that they've misjudged all of this from the start and, and they can't buy everybody. Well, I mean, it's, a, it's the kind of arrogance that one acquires when you can drop $220 billion on anything, right? They have this extraordinary yeah. arrogance that they think that they can bend the world to their will. And, uh, I mean, they've bent a lot of the world to their, to their will, to be fair. Uh, they've been to all of FIFA uh, to their will. But, you know, I, I, I don't think that they've completely uh, bent, uh, you know, everything about this World Cup to their own will. Whether FIFA's people say it or not, they're going to be so thankful when this World Cup is over. Um, this has been a giant headache for FIFA from the moment it was awarded. And um, so here we are. The games have started and we're still talking about this stuff not, and not so much the game sometimes. <laughs> yeah, and we're an American podcast and the U.S. just played. So yeah, it's it's interesting, right? Um, but uh, I've had two incidents now. I had the incident with security when I was getting my accreditation, and I got detained here. And and you know, I, just be clear about what I did here. I took a photo of a a, a slogan on a wall and was told I had to delete the 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 phone image. And then I wore a T-shirt that had a rainbow on it and a soccer ball. Um, so Crazy. That, those are controversial those, Grant Wall. These are these are the the grand offenses. <laughs> Absolute madness. Oh, shoot me, please. Um, but I'm glad to be home. Um, and is there anything else you want to talk about with the World Cup so far in terms of what we've seen, um, what's coming? Uh, just so listeners know, we're going to have this coming out um, every other day. Um, so. Um, we're going to be doing quite a bit of it. You're going to be a very busy guy. Yeah. Uh, in terms of the U.S., um, I do think it's worth noting uh, Greg Berhalter's comments about uh, Gio Reyna after the game that he sort of felt like he wasn't, he, he sort of was tight during the friendly. And then Reyna himself said, I was completely fine to play. Greg doesn't have to explain to me why I'm not playing, but I was fine to play. Uh, so he goes for Jordan Morris instead. And I think a lot of people were wondering if Reyna could be brought on really at any point. And that second half to change the game. Instead, it was Jordan Morris, who uh, we talked plenty as sort of a, a, a player who comes in for a lot of criticism despite his mere existence, which I think is harsh. Um, and again, I think I, I, I want to underscore... Jordan Morris was playing for Swansea? Um, 
yeah, like if he was good for Swansea and they were still in the championship and he was still there, um, I don't think so. I don't think so. I think it's uh, purely because uh, he he didn't establish himself in Europe. Um, but I don't know. Um, that, that that's just sort of life for players who are in MLS. Which, by the way, I think the Walker Zimmerman uh, criticism is somewhat tainted by that as well. That he's also another player who's uh, permanently in MLS uh, for his career. But again, I want to I want to emphasize that I'm not completely down on the U.S. performance. I love the way they played in the first half. I only wish they play like that in the second half. It was a great goal. I had a great time. I love watching the U.S. in the World Cup. And uh, hopefully, there is still a win yet in this group, uh, if not against Iran, then maybe crazily against England. Awesome. Thanks, Chris. Thanks, Grant. Thanks for listening to Football with Grant Wall. Want to thank producer and pundit Chris Whittingham. You can now sign up for a free or paid subscription to my newsletter at grantwall.com. The best way to support my work is by taking out a paid subscription. See you next time. Mm-hmm.